Welcome back, everyone, to the Dairy Science Digest. This is a podcast designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to the ears of dairy producers. I'm Reagan Bluell with the University of Missouri Dairy Team, and each month I feature a fresh new research article in press waiting to go to print. And for our March edition of this podcast, Dr. Jolene Hadrich is joining us today from the University of Minnesota in St. Paul to discuss the article currently in press in the Journal of Dairy Science titled, Estimation and Analysis of Cow Level, Cumulative Lifetime Breakeven on Financial Resiliency. And that's a, a fairly complex title, but really what we're looking at is the financial success of dairy farms. So Doc, before we get going, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? I'd be more than happy to. Like you mentioned, I'm a faculty member here at the University of Minnesota, but I also have an extension appointment as well. And I work in the general area of farm management, but I grew up on a dairy farm here in Minnesota. So much of my research focuses on ways commodity producers can improve or enhance their profitability when new constraints are imposed on them. So I often say, you know, whether that's environmental regulations, new sustainability goals, or just a volatile market like we're in right now, I look at financial data and help identify management practices that seem to be successful. Very good. All right. This project is really compelling to me. As I was searching through the articles in press, it just bounced right out because what's unique about your data set is that you're taking cow level information and farm level financials and merging them together to get that cow level financial analysis. So could you explain a little bit about where, where'd you find these data sets that were so specific? So this has been one of those research areas that I have been working in for you know close to 15 years. So traditionally I've had either a great financial data set or a great cow level data set through DHIA, but never was I able to combine the two and both have their own shortcomings looking at them individually. So when I was able to come back to Minnesota and take this job at the U of M, one of the things that I wanted to do was figure out a way to merge these two data sets. And Minnesota is a great way to do that because we have a large number of dairy farms in our state that utilize DHIA, but we also have a financial data source called FinBin, where our farmers are contributing their financial data to an aggregate database. So I didn't take no for an answer and I was persistent and I kept trying to find ways to merge these two data sets together. And we were able to successfully do that. That's so fantastic. And for those of you kind of new to the listening, DHIA is the Dairy Herd Improvement Association. And then, of course, uh, Finbin, she described quite a bit. And down here in Missouri, I am so jealous of your guys' Finbin uh, data set. And often we'll utilize uh, Minnesota's data to give benchmarking for dairy producers uh, here in the state. Because it's important to recognize what the average of folks are doing. But here you really, you didn't particularly look at just the average. The title talked about resilience. So how exactly did you define financial resiliency for this analysis? Right. So often people look at the FinBin data for an annual benchmark. And while I agree wholeheartedly that you need to know what your annual profitability is, I think that often misses the big picture of how the farm has been performing over time. So what we did with this study was we 
had six years of data, so 2012 to 2018. And I strategically chose that time period because I knew that we had a run-up in dairy prices and then mm, a, 2014, yes, we all remember for Yes, and then a, a stark, <laughs> you know, drop off. So I wanted to see how farmers responded during that time period in the study. And the way that I wanted to identify who was, you know, a resilient farmer was I wasn't just going to look at their base net farm income. What I wanted to do was standardize it by the value of farm production. So what were those gross sales generated on the farm due to farm activities? And then I was like, well, how do we identify who's resilient or not? We have this measure. So we rank them against their peers each year. And then we said that you were a resilient farm if you were in the top 25% of your peers for the majority of the years that you were in the study. So if you were in the study for four years, that meant you had to rank at that top 25% for three of those four years. Or if you were in it for the complete seven years, then you would have to be in that top 25% for four of those years. Um, and we strategically did that because we recognize that sometimes there are just weather events or health events in your herd that don't allow you to be in that top 25% every year. And we wanted to capture that. Absolutely. And ultimately, your, your entire data set looked at 17,329 lifetime cow observations, and that was over 67 farms. So this is a really robust data set. And um, table one kind of encapsulated all of the details about the farms that you were looking at. And one that just really sprung to my eyes was looking at the resilient versus the non-resilient column and the total herd size. Could you talk a little bit about the herd size and, and what, sort of, what sort of response, industry response, have you been getting regarding the, the resilient farm average population being 88 cows? Right. So one of the caveats that I give whenever I'm out presenting this data is, you know, Minnesota does have a large number of smaller operations, uh, but we also have a number of operations with more than 1,200 cows. And this sample had that range. Our smallest herd was around 25 cows and our largest was 1,200 and in this particular sample and study. So we have size distributions um, captured, but like you alluded to, one of the surprising results of the study was that our resilient farms were our smaller operations and not our medium to larger. So I'm going to say like over 300 or 400 cows. And, you know, this is something that some people in the industry just were surprised to see because we keep talking about economies of size and scale. And that that didn't come across in the study, which I I think is giving our smaller operations the opportunity to demonstrate that, yes, I have 100 cows, but yes, I'm still making a decent net farm income. I am resilient. I am sustainable. And that message isn't always out in the in the general media sometimes. Certainly hard to amplify that. And, and so it was promising as, as we have quite a few smaller herds here in Missouri also to kind of see that number that there's not a right or a wrong way to dairy, but there is a right and a wrong way to be profitable. Um, and so making sure that you manage that uh, and, and focus in. So as your team was presenting the data, there was a deeper dive that looked at the break even on individual cows. And that was very noteworthy to me. Talk to me a little bit about the percentage of cows that don't ever break even. This was one of the 
the parts of the study that we thought our research team that was really unique is the fact that we have the actual heifer raising costs for these farms. So again, this data is not coming from secondary sources or a farmer filling out a survey. It's their actual, you know, QuickBook records getting updated into our financial software. So we could go back and add in what was that cost of raising that heifer for that particular farm. And what we learned was only about 38% of the cows on our resilient dairy farms achieved their break-even during the lifetime that they were on that farm during our study period. Wow. 62% never break-even? Yes. And when we first presented this, I really appreciated one of the farmers. He's like, so you're telling me when I'm standing here in my barn of a hundred cows, 60 of these cows are making me lose money. And he was interpreting it as that particular year. No, what's happening is over their lifetime. So you might have a herd of a hundred cows and maybe 70% of them have already broken even at that specific point in time. But what made this study so different is that we looked over their entire lifetime rather than an annual basis or just their lactation. So most of the time when people are looking at the break-even, they're not including that heifer raising cost. Mm -hmm. It's looking at that one little snapshot in time. And we were looking across time. Really incredible when you can kind of uh, freeze time and look retrospectively. And I, and while I recognize that this is probably not a exercise that most dairy producers can do at home, it's really insightful to help us guide our thoughts. So let's talk a little bit about that heifer rearing cost. What what were some observations you made between resilient farms and and non-resilient farms relative to heifer development? So between the two groups, whether you were that resilient or non-resilient category, there was about a $45 difference um, with the farms and the cows in our study. So the resilient farms were around $1,839, whereas the non-resilient were around $1,886. And their age at first calving was also pretty close. It was maybe four or five weeks different. So that was something that told us that regardless of your size, the cost to raise a heifer in Minnesota is right around that $1,800. And that was to get it from the day that calf drops Mm -hmm. to her first calving. So that's capturing potentially 24 months, give or take. So would it be safe to say that the the common adage of break-even at the second lactation is true? When you go back to that producer where you're standing in the farm and he said 60% are not making, is it, is the old adage of second lactation break even, is that what you found in your data set? Is that still stand true? Yes. So if you look at the journal article, we have that represented in figure one. And what we did is we visually represented what percent of the herd at the end of their first lactation hit their break even. So for our resilient farms, that was about 20%, whereas our non-resilient, we were around 11%. When we you know, went to the lactation two cows, we saw a much higher percent in both of those categories. 30% of our resilient herds with cows in their second lactation, those had hit their break even. Whereas 
with the, the non-resilient herd still only 18%. I'm sure listeners are like, okay, why are these non-resilient herds not breaking even? And one of the things that we found is that, you know, our larger dairy farms tended to have higher milk production than our smaller ones. And, you know, some of them are in the, in the resilient versus non-resilient categories. But that feed cost does drive some of these estimates and the cow's ability to break even. Because if you are feeding her to produce, you know, 30,000 pounds of milk a year, there is a much higher cost associated with that compared to the cow that may be producing 23,000 pounds of milk and potentially on a, you know, a, a, a grazing system or something along those lines. Looking at the lifetime profit that you have summarized in table two, the lifetime feed difference over her entire life is $778 difference. What was really noteworthy is over over double of that is the non-feed expenses. So $1,741 of non-feed expenses in the lifetime uh, calculation of that animal's profit potential. What goes into the non-feed we're talking about supplies, any type of like hauling charges you would have for milk, your depreciation, interest payments on loans. You know, that's the one challenge of being an economist is I can like flood you with numbers. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, feed expense is normally that top priority that dairy producers are looking at. And I'm probably vet. The other main, our larger cost in that category is labor which is where we really saw the difference. As you indicated earlier, our non-resilient dairies were slightly larger in size and they had a higher amount of hired labor reported. That labor could be part-time labor, it could be full-time labor, any of those categories, but they were issuing a W-2 to an employee and that's recorded in that manner. For a lot of our dairy farms, if it is a a joint operation or a sole proprietorship, they may or may not be writing themselves a check for their salary each year. Mm -hmm. So if they're not issuing themselves a W-2, they're taking it as, you know, withdrawals for family living, that is not captured in that lifetime non-feed expense. Mm. Interesting. You know, um, I guess... As we're looking through the data set on on that cow level, lifetime profit calculation, the lifetime profit for all farms, for resilient versus non-resilient, for all farms is negative $1,459. And I think something that works on my heart a little bit is we're going through this seven-year analysis or this assessment. It really speaks to, it speaks to what dairy farmers might be feeling, right? And and everything that you've said up to this point is talking about strong expense management. And while their, their take home on an annual basis might not have felt negative like that, it, the reality is if we can help control expenses, perhaps we can minimize the overall losses on a, on a lifetime profit calculation. So an analysis of this caliber that you've done likely can't happen at the farm level, but what are a few financial benchmarks that you think every dairy producer with boots on the ground should know and that is frequently updated enough that they have that number 
available top of mind. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. And I really like to emphasize that when I discuss this research is there's no way a farmer, a dairy farmer has time to do this type of analysis. This is the beauty of being a researcher. You know, we can take the extra time to drill down, but here are some of like the main points. First and foremost is feeding to the production level that you want on your farm. That is one of the, the big conclusions that we got out of this study is that our resilient dairy farms were low input, low cost producers that had not the top milk production levels, right? But when we compared the, the feed cost to milk yield ratio, they were almost identical between that resilient and non-resilient category. So that was an indication to me that those resilient dairy farms were really dialed in on what their feed costs were and what they wanted to achieve. The analogy I give is that they know what lane they're in and they're, they're staying in their lane. They're not trying to pass their neighbor down the street. They're not trying to keep up with the Joneses. They know what they're good at and they're doing it. The other thing that I think has come up a lot is labor. So I've, I've talked about those caveats, you know, a lot of these small dairy farms are paying themselves through family withdrawals. The, the thing to keep in mind is with this study across all of the years, most of these resilient dairy farms made a net farm income of 50 to 80,000. Even when we had those negative price shocks after 2014, and when we capture that opportunity cost of labor and management, those dairy farms would still be performing at or above break even. So they have identified where their competitive advantage is, and they've continued moving forward on that. The other thing that I think is sometimes challenging to manage is just that heifer raising cost. When you're looking at this long time period, you know, it's easy to forget that that cow has to recover that cost. So I often hear producers saying, well, the cow broke even for the two years she was in the milking herd, so I'm okay calling her. And oftentimes they have not on purpose, but forgotten mm -hmm. about that $1,800 it costs to raise her. So making sure that that's in the back of your mind as you're making some of these culling or breed back decisions, I think is valuable. But also if you have a cow that's not performing, I mean, don't keep her until she breaks even. Like sometimes not every cow is going to break even. So you have to be using the appropriate culling strategy for your system. I did like back in your lifetime break even graph, figures two and three was really zooming in and looking at sometimes it's best just to cut your losses early. Figures two and three, you compare the heifers that freshen in 2012 versus 2014 and the lifetime profit per cow for those resilient and non-resilient herds. So this is kind of a two-part question. First, why did you choose 2012 versus 2014? And what were some of the take-home points for your over lifetime costs? Right. So, you know, we had to pick two years to illustrate, you know, starting points sometimes matter. So 2012 was the first year of the study. So we were able to show you had resilient versus non-resilient. Our resilient dairies had a, a positive slope 
for their cows that broke even and didn't break even. Whereas our non-resilient dairy farms, regardless of those two categories, had a negative slope. So they could never reroute it. Their expenses were set up in such a way that they couldn't shift that curve to recover. 2014, we see that shift a little bit more, but we also had higher milk prices at that point in time. That was sort of the same point in time where We've had those increased feed costs due to a good commodity market from 29 to 2012. So, you know, the challenge with economics is we have 18,000 things moving at us at once, and it's hard to pinpoint the individual item that's driving everything. But the thing that, you know, it got back to what you just said a little bit ago. At some point, it's better to cut your losses early on than to keep pushing forward. And if you have a high feed cost ration and a cow that is just not performing, it may be better to cull her sooner rather than later so you can save on those feed costs. You can reallocate that labor that you're paying for to cows that would benefit from it versus the cow that's not performing. It's quite noteworthy, the do not break even non-resilient animals, even the ones that freshened in 2014, have a net loss of over $2,000, lifetime. Well, Dr. Hedrich, this has been very informative, and I want to thank you for your time. And listeners, I applaud you for taking time out of your day-to-day to learn about how closely monitoring your expenses can make a huge difference on your farm income. And I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it's been the March edition of the Dairy Science Digest, which is a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles in press, sound science to base your management decisions around provided by your University of Missouri Dairy Team. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Bluell with Dairy Science Digest, and I hope you have a great day.